I have no filters myself, as you've probably heard. Um, beyond that, you know, the the stage is yours, and this is uh, this is not about me. This is about you. I, I want to hear your story. I want to get your story out. Uh, the fact that you've been around the block a time or two, um, I, I, probably a time or two or four, and you've got some stories, you've got experience. Um, that's one of the biggest things that some of the young folks that I've gotten a chance to speak to have been thankful for that they're getting perspective, not just from, uh, the team lead in the shop or the, the senior tech in the shop or their service manager, they're getting more perspectives from more leaders and more technicians and in different areas. So it's, you know, it's not this one jackass here or this one awesome dude here. There's a diversity of people in our shops, leading our shops, investing time, energy, and effort in our shops that if they feel like they're in a, a bad place, they, they know that there are good places to go to with, with folks like yourself that are willing to put in the time, the energy, and effort and train and, and mentor and so on and so forth. So, Tony, I appreciate you being on the show. I really, really do. And um, man, I really appreciate it. Is my shirt okay? I can put a Jermaine shirt on. <laughs> That's good. You know what? It doesn't bother me at all. Considering you know, there might be some folks that weren't born when that came out. That that'll well, be. <laughs> it, I, I'm like Jeff Flintstone. I got twelve of these shirts. I want to wear one every day. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I've had five of these. I've had five markets. Uh, I love the cars. Beautiful. They're they're not slow either. They're comfortable. They're they're quick. They're, they're not fast fast, but they're definitely they're not slouch. Uh, especially considering their sizes. And I recall a time now. This is going back a ways when I had my SRT four neon, and there was a gentleman that was in the car club that had a neon to start and then transitioned to out of Mopar. And I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's not the SHO because that was the, the that was the four. But what was the 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 Mercury version? Wasn't there like uh, a the Marauder? The Marauder. He had one of those. I'm dying. And for one it was it was it was such a it was the most inconspicuous sleeper I think I I could ever have come across. There, there's a couple oh. out there. That, that kind of come in that category, but not too many have that. It's basically a cop car, right? But it's a full on, it looks like a Lincoln town car, kind of, but it's not, it's Mercury Marauder. Yeah. And it's badged, it's badged in such a way and it's lines are in such a way that it, it just looks like a nice car. It's and wicked. then all of a sudden it, it, it's wicked quick. Wicked quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, looking for one right now. You have had 486 cars in my lifetime. So. What? The 486 cars. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I thought my cars. number was big at 30. Like I'm, I'm 40 years old and I've had 30 cars. So I thought my number was big and, and my four. Okay, you're gonna have when a was, list off. So when I, when I was five? 15, I had nine in my yard. My mom sold them all one day when I went to school. <laughs> you and nine. Okay. So what are your top five? Uh, Mark 8 is one for certain. Uh, you know, it's an incredible car. Uh, I love the Fox body uh, a lot. Uh, my favorite looking car of all time is a 77 Trans Am. Uh, beautiful car. I've had a couple of those. 
Uh, Agreed. Love the Grand Prix. I had a 69 LJ. It was a pretty awesome car, too. And I had some Novas. Love the Nova, too. Had a 70. Nice. I had a 70 with a 427, 435 horse vet motor in it. Wow. Rare engine. I ended up selling the, I sold the motor for 20 grand uh, years ago uh, and kept the body and sold the body to somebody else. Wow. Those are some nice cars, my friend. I've had some nice stuff. Uh, well, being 62, is like, man, I've had a lot of these cars. It's like, man, uh, and now you can't touch it. Even shells, you can't touch it. No, no. I saw, what was it? There's a, I saw a little clip on YouTube, on a YouTube short somewhere, and I, I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to click the button. And this gentleman was, was talking about how they found General Lee number one. And it was like in some back, yard like super duper backyard but this individual had a whole bunch of cars all over everywhere there were trees growing through through the hoods and there was things so deep into the ground because it had just sunk into the, the mushy ground that you almost could only just see the roofs and 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 lo and behold they had they ended up finding generally number one in this yard but just thinking that you know those really rare finds and if i understand correctly it sold like as is for a million dollars and it was in horrific condition but oh, it was yeah. generally number one well, and I'm, to think number ones are so valuable there was a, a another one on i think adam lz is is in in canada this weekend i think it's L, his lz tour or whatever so I'm, I'm not sure if you know who adam lz is anyway he's a drifter but he came to canada this this weekend and he's filming he's actively filming and he's went to a buddy's shop in canada and this gentleman has VIN one of the first EG hatch civic in his shop completely covered because they're produced not that far from here. About 45 minutes away is Alliston, Ontario is where they're, they're produced and he has VIN one and it's got 12 kilometers on it. You, I started off in the business of Honda. They had a cord civic and prelude in 1981. Uh, that's all mm-hmm. they had. Uh, I sold the first CRX sold in the U.S. when I was selling cars. Uh, love the CRX what? car, too. The very first one. It was an automatic car. It came in off the truck with a cracked windshield. This is cool. Uh, sold to this lady had a Prelude. She had a uh, 81 Prelude. She bought this 84 CRX automatic, uh, not an SI, and had a crack in the windshield. So we got the windshield in. She came in to get the windshield put in. We... The glass company yanked it out, opened the new box, and broke. <laughs> we waited seven months for a new one. Seven months for glass. Yeah. Wow. But the CR wow. is definitely my top five. That's crazy. So let's go back to your first. So, Go ahead. Yeah, my nephew is a uh, had a neon um, hot rod neon one you mentioned there. Uh, yeah, he had. Did one he have one of the first? Did he have first gen? Uh, he had one. He had it built. I think it had a zipper on. He had he he overhauled this thing like fifteen times. Uh, but yeah, he finally got rid of it. He's got a fox body now. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, that said, that, that leads us into kind of like the, our first question here. Uh, 
your what was your what was the reason that you got into automotive? Like what what was your was it a family thing or 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 what? Well, it's funny, you know, from the time I was sixteen to eighteen, I had like three hundred jobs. I had one job at a park store for like three minutes. Uh, but <laughs> so I'm looking for a job, and I all, my career of choice was to be a police officer because I have a lot of respect for police officers. And I understand what they do, and I love people. Uh, so I, I didn't go that way. My, my wife got pregnant at the time. No fault of mine, of course. And, uh, you know, so I, <laughs> so I had to find me a job. And I'm got my brother was a, uh, worked at the Honda store in Fairfield. And he said, come down here and apply for a, a car washer. And I said, okay. So I went down and applied. I got the job and I was there 10 years and, uh, I went from, uh, Washing cars to selling cars, sold an insane amount of cars. I don't know how that is, but they just bought from me. And then I, uh, I actually, sales is my first love. Uh, I got out of sales because of some bad advice. They had closers back then. Thank God they don't have them anymore. Uh, but, you know, they take your keys, won't let you go, to, you know, all that. But that's the way they did it in the 80s. And I wanted to be a closer. Well, I was a young man, you know, I made $84,000 in 1984 selling cars. Uh, that was a lot of money. Um, and I said, I want to be a closer. Well, they said, you have to walk the lot five more years before you be a closer. Well, we didn't have internet then, so you had to walk the lot. I wore cowboy boots. I was old. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they had I'm not doing this. Um, so I got out of sales into service and wrote service and uh, did that for a while. I ran a reconditioning center. They had uh, eight stores sent all their reconditioned cars to us for reconditioning. I handled all the reconditioning, all the cars, uh, ran it that. And mm -hmm. uh, then I left there and went to their Toyota store up the street. And I was a lead tech for a while and uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, it was a team shop. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. I learned a lot about that. I actually went to... Um, Auto mechanics in high school, and my wife did too, if you can believe that, uh, which is really unusual back in the day. Um, but uh, yeah, she could she could twist a wrench or two back then. Nice. How long were you? A, sorry, I I, I might have missed the time there. How long were you turning wrenches at Lee Tech? About a year and a half or two, and then I hurt my back, and I thought, man, I can't do this, so I got out of it. Uh, where did I go? Oh, from there I went to a Chevrolet store. Uh, they hired me because their customer satisfaction scores on a scale of zero to a hundred were 36. Uh, Chevrolet said, you need to hire somebody to take care of this or else, uh, we're taking your franchise. So they hired me. Uh, and I worked for the sales department. They had, they had no delivery system. It's funny. Uh, if when they sold a car, they hand somebody the keys that it's out there. Uh, and I'm like, really? Uh, I said, you need a delivery system here. Uh, you need to walk the customer out, walk around the car, uh, you know, get the customer, make love with that car. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's their new car and uh, make an ordeal out of it. I uh, worked with sale service. Uh, we did new owner clinics. I started those. Um, I call all the customers at sales, all the customer service. In one year, our score went up to 92. Uh, nice. 
Yeah. yeah, that's 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 an impressive. That's, considering you only really changing one process, even though you're really changing a whole bunch, but changing one process and making it more customer centric, it's making it about them is how important that is. And it doesn't matter whether you're in sales or service. Do making the the whole sale, the whole purchase, the whole result about the customer is really important. Well, it certainly is. Uh, that's the biggest part of it. Uh, it's the whole experience. Um, that's everything as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, I'm being a time guy, I watch seconds. So that's when I really got involved with what I'm doing now at Jermaine. Uh, they hired me to put one place mm -hmm. in because I managed at a Ford store part service and body, all three departments. We had two stores. I managed them both. And, uh, in 17, I got like a 10 second goodbye speech. And that was it. We had the best year ever. That's okay. Best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, so I ended up, I ended up going to Borchard and Collision and doing estimating and they loved me there. Uh, I really enjoyed that too, but I, I get leaves, I get lost sometimes. So they hire, eventually I go to Wyoming, uh, work out there. I work in Louisiana. I work down there. That was not pleasant at all. Um, then I ended up coming back here, back to Borchard and Collision. They wanted me to work there. Uh, they called me when I was my way back from Louisiana. I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm on my way home. It's funny you should ask. You can you be to work Monday? I said, certainly. So I drove 500 miles in two days, <laughs> and I was back to work Monday morning. Uh, then they hired me at Jermaine uh, to put in warranty claims because that's what I did also in Middletown uh, because I wore a lot of hats there. The owner like, he wanted to wear a lot of hats. Uh, so I wore lots of hats. Uh, he, so... Uh, my boss hired me to put in warranty claims, and I worked there doing that for about six months. And he goes, man, we're not utilizing you. We need to do a little more. Uh, here's my thing. Uh, anything that I can do right now to save advisors time, to save text time, anything that I can do all day, I save time. Time is money. Uh, if I can save a text 10 minutes a day, Look what it adds up to in time. If he's, if he's efficient, 140% efficient, it's going to make him a lot of money. If I save the advisor's time, they're going to get approvals quicker, which keeps the tech working. Uh, and so that's, that's what I really am into is the time part of it. Then I started getting involved with younger technicians, which is a huge passion of mine. Uh, I love younger technicians. In fact, I have a female that does my car. She's my personal tech there. Uh, Hannah, she's awesome, and uh, she works on mine, and uh, I won't let anybody else touch it because she's very good. Uh, but I have a lot of passion for young technicians, and I understand what they're up against. It's real important that you understand what you're getting into what because uh, some of them are flat rate now. Some of them are going to be flat rate. Um, they need to understand the advantages and disadvantages of flat rate. Uh, you know, one broken mm -hmm. bolt. Don't let it ruin your week. It can cause a bad day. It can cause a bad half day. Don't let, don't roll that through the week. You got to let that go. Uh, some guys will let that go for the week. And it's like, well, I had this broken bolt on Tuesday. It took me four hours. It was okay. What about the other four days? What about that? You got to put that stuff behind you. Mm -hmm. uh, and younger technicians don't get that. Um, and it's hard, man, because. You know, I see it in coaching too. They get they get in their heads. 
You know, I've been there. I've, I've been that tech. I've let stuff like that get to my head and let it completely destroy a week. Yeah. You, you got to you find coping mechanisms to, to get yourself out of that headspace. You know, you could have like two or three of those kinds of things happen in a row. Things that aren't exactly or most importantly, not always in your control. Stuff's going to break. Like you get 10 year old plastic, plastic's oh, yeah. going to break. No matter how many times that you've done it, no matter how good you are, if the plastic wants to break, the plastic's going to break. If you get a 15-year-old truck that's been in the salt belt for 15 years, got 200,000 miles on it, stuff is going to yeah. break. You're going to have to get out the drill. You're going to have to get out the tap and die set. You're probably going to have to get out the liquid wrench. Every, you're going to have to use all of the skills at your disposal to be able to get there. And if you don't have a lot of those skills because you're a young mechanic and you've only been in the trade a year or two years and you don't have all of those skill set, the first skill set you need to learn before you learn all of the hows, you're going to learn the whys because you want to know why you're doing that. You got to understand that you got to get your headspace right so that the last thing you want to do is, is over treat something that's broken off and now you've hardened it, making your job three, four yeah, times absolutely. harder, right? The last thing you want to do is get in your head and go, maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will work instead of going, this will work, yeah. right? Those those confidence things are you going to work on first before you really work on on the skills because the skills will just come. It's an iterative process. Yeah. You have right? to have an understanding. We literally have an iterative process day in, day out. It's it's so important that there's a thorough understanding of how it works and what's going on, and you gotta let it roll off. Like I said, you can't let that. You can't. Let, it's a mindset. Everything is a mindset. It's a when it comes right down to it, you got one person. It's you. If there's a problem, chances are you're the problem. Uh, I hate to say it, but it is. Uh, it's a mindset. You gotta keep your mind right. I'm a big movie fan. Uh, cool hand Luke. Got to keep your mind right. Uh, you know, your mind's got to mm -hmm. be right. Uh, it's a mindset. You cannot let things defeat you. You just cannot do that. It costs you money. Hundred percent. It will. It will cost you more money than you can imagine long term because you're not just destroying your week. And that's what some don't truly understand. When you mentally allow yourself to degrade into depression or de even degrade into negativity long term it's like you said finding minutes in our industry specifically in fixed finding minutes can make Absolutely. you a lot of money but every minute you waste is like not depositing into an investment right the, the concept is i think if you start investing something like a hundred dollars a month at the age of 18 you can you'll have like a million dollars by the time you're uh, uh, was it forty or something like that because of compound interest over twenty two years, something like that. I don't, I don't remember the exact math, but the idea is if you start investing at eighteen, you can continue investing until you're forty, a hundred dollars a month, and then stop investing at forty, and by sixty five, you have more than enough money to retire with. But if you don't start start investing until you're 40 you have to invest like thirty five hundred dollars a month until you're 65 to get Absolutely. the same amount of money like the, the, how much you need to invest between the two is is the same amount but it's so much harder to invest thirty five hundred a month versus a hundred dollars a month for early so the same thing applies in mechanic work 
if you don't positively invest in yourself every single minute, every single day, over and over and over again, positive investment, positive reinforcement, you're just not investing yourself long term. You're going to find yourself bitter. You're going to find yourself resentful. You're going to find find yourself being angry at flat rate if you happen to be in a flat yeah. rate shop. Yeah. Right? You know when I know you can make a whole lot of money on flat rate. You can. I've seen it. I've done it. But there's a whole lot of folks out there that unfortunately have been in positions where they haven't been able to. Well, it's a mindset, like I said. You gotta get your mind right. It's all on how you you gotta have a good attitude. Attitude is everything. Uh you cannot let mm-hmm. speak you gotta have a good attitude. Absolutely. Let it roll off, keep on moving. Uh and it's real important to mentor these young technicians. Uh, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna be tech full-fledged technician someday and wouldn't it be a great feeling for you to mentor somebody and then 20 years later they look and say you know you're the reason that i'm successful today that's what it's all about that's worth more than money that's that's so much satisfaction there uh, for for a young technician to tell mm-hmm. you hey i appreciate what you did for me i'm successful because of you oh man oh man it's, I, I, I think I, I've never had that phrase said to me. I've had lots of thank yous for what you do, which I'm very appreciative of. And I, and I think I get the same kind of I get the same kind of fizz of, of jubilation and, and happiness out of that. Because I think it's part of what we are in this industry. We as mechanics I think once you become a mechanic, and, and that's from the day you decide to be one, you walk into your first store, whatever, whether it's a dealership, independent franchise, or, or backyard, whatever the case may be, when you decide to become a mechanic, it is part of your duty as a mechanic to then train other mechanics Absolutely. once you are capable. I you think that is work, our duty. Want, and the phrase you teach them not to be. You don't want to work around hacks. Teach them to be technicians. No, to be professional, right. to be polite, to be courteous, to communicate, to you know, be be the kind of person, not just mechanic, but be the kind of person that grows other mechanics. Be the kind of person that other mechanics look up to, not for the, the bragging rights of, of being the person people look up to, but because that means that you're training other good people. You're you're training people to reinforce the values and the ethics and the moral virtues that we as technicians so badly need in this industry to be successful as a whole, not just our, like just not just our own paycheck, our own family, but the entire industry. If the entire industry is so incredibly negative, all we're exactly. going to get is negative it's back. Really if we are the, the four, we get a positive back. You know, right? It's just exactly. Not as good as it could be. Exactly. You, know, you got you got people up front. The sales department thinks techs sit back there collect money all day. Then you got uh, techs in the back thinking salespeople sit up there collect money all day. Yeah, neither one of those is the case. Uh, mm-hmm. Technicians work very hard for the money. Very hard. Uh, it's a stress game. It is in the head. That's where it's at. You can teach your hands to do it, but your head is where it's at. You got to have your head right. And people don't understand the stresses that there is being a technician today. 
the complexity of cars is getting worse and worse. It's it's getting incredibly complex and it's getting more dangerous. I think that's one of the things that is that is just flies under the radar currently. It's not it's not known truly the danger that mechanics put themselves in now working with HEVs, EVs and so forth. We're starting to get, you know, we've been working with propane a long while and I think folks undervalue how dangerous it's working with propane, propane is. Propane's out, out it like you, 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 you know, you, you clock the valve wrong and guess what? That you got a bomb on your hands. Literally, gasoline is safer than propane in that regard, right? You've got a compressed cylinder. It, it literally, you, you now walk into a big box store, find a big box store anywhere that sells propane and it says, do not bring cylinders inside. Because if you take it inside, you're literally yeah, walking yeah. around the storm yeah. with a bomb, right? It's possible. And mechanics everywhere that are working on forklifts, working on uh, big vehicles, or even small vehicles, if they happen to be old, working yeah. on stuff that's been converted to propane. Marshall Imagine. Sheldon works on propane on a fairly regular basis. We've got hydrogen coming in, right? We've got hydrogen coming in. We've got Toyota stores working with hydrogen. It's high. The Hindenburg the was a yeah. thing. Hydrogen, yeah. Like, Right. So the I don't think it's truly understood, even by leadership, truly understood by leadership to understand how much danger the majority of their technicians are in. What happens if a battery goes up in flames in the well, middle of a shop? You know, right. There there are racetracks, right? There are racetracks across the planet that are are banning EVs because they do not have the appropriate oh, yeah. equipment to put first, out an EV I fire. We got our first hybrid in when, when I was at the Ford store and uh, the battery, and we had to buy special tools. Well, they buy one of the tools, a big ass hook. Uh, and I said, What the hell is this for? They said, Because if somebody gets caught on one of those things, you can't grab them, you got to get the hook and pull them off. And that's that's a fact. It sounds like a bad joke, right? It sounds like a really bad joke. The the the, the hook that the candy, big old candy cane hook you used to see in in yeah. the, the comedies in in what was it the thirties, forties, fifties when they were really off on stage because it was live. They hook them off stage. Yeah. Well, that's what we now use as yeah, a safety tool to pull somebody off in a like, TV. You get a guy that's pride himself on a hybrid car. You can't grab that guy. You got to get a hook and yank him off of there. Uh, it's scary. And mm -hmm. that people need to understand that there needs to be a lot and, more training, particularly now we've got total EVs with Lordy Mercy. Uh, I love the EV performance. I'm not against EV. Um, I'm a performance guy. I like speed. So I love the speed of, a, of an EV. Uh, I'm not mm -hmm. sure that the U.S. is ready for them, for the charging stations. But I don't know. That's another issue. But, uh, you know, I live in a town of 62,000. We've got 12 chargers here in town. Um uh, I think I've kind of count. So our, you know, where I live, there's about 20, 22,000 people living in, in, in here. And, and I can't remember the last time I saw a charger. So our, our main grocery stores don't have charging stations. Uh, the big box stores around them don't have charging stations. Uh, there might be at the local Canadian Tire because they also have a shop out back. But if they have a charger, it'll be out back, which I've never seen. 
Um, none of the restaurants or strip malls around that I know of Nothing have yet, charging stations. Uh, I know there's a charging station like the town that the next town over, which is about ten miles away. You know, 15, sixteen kilometers, give or take. I know they have a. They literally put in last summer. They put in a big old charging station, so I think it'll charge eight all at once. But they they put in this big, I think a big old transformer. Oh, yeah. It's got to be ten by ten. Easily ten by ten out in the, in the parking lot to be able to charge probably eight eight cars all at once. But I think that's a, probably the only public charger that I can think of. Well, I'll see when it works in forty five thousand people. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't. In fact, I'm not sure that I've seen one away from work. I, I you know, driving down the road, I, I'm not sure that I have. I'm, you know, we have a work because we we do EV, but uh, you know, the performance is incredible. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. Uh, man, it's like driving a squat car. Oh my God! Uh, oh yeah, they are a lot of fun. But uh, you know, that gone. Uh, you well, you know, uh, Ford made a big deal about hooking up with Tesla, the same court and so forth. What some people don't understand is Ford paying Tesla for that. It's mm-hmm. not free. Uh, you know, uh, that's one of the that you can use our chargers. No, 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 no. That ain't, didn't work that way. Ford paying Tesla for that. Uh, so he. He understands how to make some money. True. Very, very true. And there's there's lots that, you know, there's a lot of folks that have lots to say about both Ford and Tesla, well, as well as Mr. Musk himself. Um, but at the end of the day, there's innovation. What what is, what is this phrase? Uh, for his mindset, at least specifically, we're talking about going to Mars and being an interplanetary species. I think his phrase is the rate of innovation has to accelerate in order for us to be an interplanetary species. And he uses that same kind of phraseology for not just SpaceX, but also for Tesla, the rate of innovation needs to accelerate. So whatever is required to grow the business, to get better product, to make better product, to produce more product, more efficiently, whatever. Like you said yourself, finding ways to find time, save time, whether it's for technicians, advisors, apprentices, uh, leadership, uh, sales, whatever you can do to save time and get the same result or better, you're going to do. I think his, his methodology of that is the same. He's looking for how do we do this inexpensively with the same quality or better quality? How do we do this faster with the same that quality or better quality? Better. Um, and some, you know, no, faster is not always better. Oh I agree. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how long it takes to build a car. These days. <laughs> it looks like in some cases, shoot, I bet uh, the 20 Explorer, I bet they build in 15 minutes. Uh, they have <laughs> a lot of trouble with those. But, uh, yeah. Well, the last time I looked up how long it took to build things and and w- was like 20 years ago, and I think it was like 27 hours by the time something went through one end of Alliston to the other end of Alliston to build a Civic. Well, it was like 27 hours to build a Civic or something like that. Uh, what is it now? Light, very fast. Uh, it, it shows, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it makes it harder on technicians. Uh, some of the things that you used to be able to do that you can't do today. Uh, just to give you an example, uh, there's a sensor on the uh, fuses back in the uh, early ten, early ten, ten, twelve, as an eight, uh, work the climate control uh, 
sense of something. Mm-hmm. I forget what the name of it is. Uh, you have to pull the dash out to get to it. Uh, it's a little sensor. The AC and climate control wouldn't work without it. Uh, you had to remove the dash to put this thing in. Uh, man, that's a little much, don't you think? Uh, you know, couldn't they love, yeah, love somewhere else? very much so. But it means it means that somebody from the the whoever deals with assembly automation, you know, packaging assembly, figuring out what what modules need to happen in order for it to get assembled easy and quickly and so forth. They aren't talking with people on the engineering side who are looking at repair processes and building repair processes and oh, so yeah, forth. It's like yeah. the sure. two aren't but necessarily talking to each other because you, you, you have uh, a sensor. How, build, how many can we sell? Uh, you know, and then, you know, technicians are stuck dealing with this stuff. Uh, and it's difficult. It's, it's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about technicians. I, I was going to bring this up and did, uh, you know, there's a there's levels of competence. Uh, one level of competence, the highest level of con, con, competence is unconscious competence. It's, sports players do this. You do something so much over and over and over. Your body don't even think about it. Your mind don't even think about it. Your body just does it. It happens. It's unconscious competence. Uh, technicians today, uh, work on your trade. Work on what you do. Hey, it can pay a lot of money, but you gotta put a lot of work in. It just don't come to you. Uh, work hard. Uh, apply yourself. Really work at it. Uh, get that unconscious competence level. Uh, where, where your mind don't think about it. Your body just doesn't. Uh, it's an amazing thing. That, that's a great way to, to, sum that up unconscious confidence things like understanding exactly where the tools are in your toolbox so when you're when you're face down on top of an engine over top of a you know if if you happen to do an engine work and you and you're working in a great shop and you happen to have one of those engine um i can't remember what it was called (laughs) of mine had one it was like it looked like you were walking the plank, but you were laying on it on top of the engine. Right. And you could it was on a dolly, so you could actually push and pull yourself in and out, right? But you could reach behind you, you can put your hand on your toolbox and pick out the 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 three eighths ten mil, the three eighths twelve mil without looking. So you didn't stop looking at the bolt you were looking at because if you look, you knew if you looked away, exactly. it would take you five more minutes to find the damn thing. So you put a reach by your hand behind your head and and get your your socket down there, get it on your ratchet, and way you keep going. That that confidence, know exactly where things are, when they are, how they are, know exactly what what step is, so you don't have to come off that gangplank, as it were, to find out what the next steps are, because you know what the next steps are, what the next tool, the the next size, when to put the extension exactly. on, how to put the extension on, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever. Great way to that's sum that up. Unconscious confidence. That's um, awesome. And- you know, I, I bowled uh, semi-professionally for a, a long time. I bowled 100 games a week in the 80s. Uh, and I got to, it, it's crazy. Uh, now, scores are a lot higher today with a higher pile of bowling balls and so forth. I was averaging like 220. I won a tournament in Las Vegas uh, at the Showboat Invitational, a couple other uh, pro-ams. Uh, and, uh, but it was, you know, I could walk in there. It didn't matter what lanes, where the oil was, where the, where the, anything. My body just did it. Uh, and technicians can do the same thing. Uh, 
I know you think it's ridiculous, but it's not ridiculous. Uh, you're saving time here. Time is money. Time is money. When you're a technician, seconds count. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. work at it. Work hard at it. If you think it, it, when you get good at it, get better at it. Uh, teacher told me in high school, he said, good, better, best, never let it rest until good is better and better is best. Uh, that's a fact. Uh, you just got. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a keeper yeah. right there. Uh, I've not I was, heard uh, that before. How was I then? Uh, 14, 15, as uh, a teacher. Yeah. You remember the tag goes on, but, uh, it's- wow. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to get that on a banner or something. That's, 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 well, it, that needs to go it, up on my wall. I think that needs to go up there. That, that is like a daily motivational it speech. A, it is such a journey. Um, and, you know, I love this business so much. I love the mechanical end so much. I love both ends, really. But, uh, you know, it's my passion. Uh, I want to see everybody succeed. Uh, that's why I'm on here. I want to talk to people. And you, you want to talk to me. You ask me to talk. But it's real important to me. If you can pick one thing up from this episode that will help you, then I did my job tonight. Absolutely. I, there, there's going to be about a dozen things in a very short period of time that just about anybody can pick up from somewhere and help them out next. And I really appreciate that. I, Tony, I really appreciate you taking a minute and uh, give me a few minutes on, on a wonderful evening and appreciate your time. And, and thanks for coming out.